Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Well, at Philippi, with the help of God, the missionary team, Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, are meeting with a great deal of success, aren't they? But in our last look at Acts chapter 16, we saw them wrongfully accused and humiliated and beaten and imprisoned. And we saw them singing praises in the midst of their agony. And we saw how the Lord intervened and how the very man who was responsible for imprisoning them had been brought to saving faith in Christ. And we looked at his conversion to make sure that it was genuine. And we could see that it was a genuine conversion by the amazing change that occurred in his life. When we left the apostles last week, in our last study rather, they were at the prison officer's home. And they were joining with him and his family in a meal, praising God for his goodness and for his mercy. He had set food before them and rejoiced and believed in God with all his household. But now we've come to the next morning, and the following morning finds them back at prison. If you look back at the passage that we read together, and Go down to verse 35. It says, When it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants, saying, Let these men go. They're back at prison. Um, Of course, it's not inconceivable that the warden's home was attached to the prison, or even part of the prison itself. But when the magistrates sent the sergeants, the Roman term, the lictors, round to order their release. We find them back in the jail. They're not in the stocks anymore, as they had been. They're not even in the dungeon, but they're certainly in the prison itself. And the disciples and the prisoners hadn't run away when the prison doors were opened. Their confidence was in the Lord. So what's the new day going to bring for them? That's what we're going to find out this evening. And it's a very simple straightforward sequence of events. And the first thing we see is that the prisoners are granted their freedom. Prisoners are granted their freedom. Verse 35 again. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants, saying, let these men go. And the keeper of the prison told this, saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go, Now, therefore, depart in peace. So the town councillors have sent the lictors round, sent the police round to the prison to tell the jailer that the imprisonment of the apostles was rescinded and that they were to be set free. These sergeants, these officers, were the rod bearers. They were the very people, the same minor government officials who had beaten them the day before, and now they're going to the prison to arrange their release. 
and they're being sent by the magistrates. I wonder what had happened to change the magistrates' minds, the minds of the ruling city elders. Think about it. Think about the night that they've just witnessed. Think about what they've just come through. They've had a terrible earthquake. There's been a tremor so fierce that the thick, impenetrable walls of the town prison have shaken so violently that the very bars holding the cell doors closed have been shaken loose and the prisoners have been set free and Paul and Silas have been singing praises to God when that happened. And you can be sure that the superstitious Philippians were not happy about those circumstances. I'm quite sure that when the earthquake was happening and their houses were shaking, that they weren't sleeping. Quite sure they were tossing and turning in their beds. Quite sure if they were getting up and running out into the streets for safety. They have been worried, perhaps, about the actions they have taken. They have wondered, perhaps, what's happening. Why is it that this great earthquake is hitting our town? And these people have been put into prison. So at the very break of day, they arise and they determine that the apostles will be released and the police are sent round to arrange their release. As soon as they arose, when it was day, they sent the sergeants. And it's the jailer's job to give the good news to Paul and to Silas. You're free to go. He actually parts them with a blessing. He says, now therefore depart and go in peace. Well, why wouldn't he? He's been gloriously converted the night before. These people have been the result of the, have been the instruments of God in his conversion. And he's saying to them, go in peace. Makes me wonder sometimes, you know, the ways of the Lord are marvelous. And they're past our finding out, aren't they? When you think about that situation in Philippi, you wonder to yourself, why did God choose to save the jailer and not the magistrates? He could have, couldn't he? Of course he could. Why did he do that? Why did he not just save the magistrates and secure Paul's release by their hand earlier? We don't know why one is saved and other people hear the same preaching of the gospel and live through the same experiences and yet they remain untouched and they remain indifferent to their eternal destiny. But God chose to save the jailer. So the jailer now goes into the jail, into the prison, and he says, your freedom is secure. Depart in peace. What wonderful news. Second thing that we notice then is that Paul says no. I'm not going. You know, in Northern Ireland, we'd have said Paul was quarantined, wasn't he? You're free to go. 
You're now released. You've been granted a pardon. You can walk out of this jail and you can go in peace and no one will harass you. No one will try to rescue you. I'm not going. I'm staying right here. Look at what it says in verse 37. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privately. Nay, verily, let them come themselves and fetch us out. Can't you see the defiance? Or rather, can't you hear the defiance in what he's saying? Now, this is a serious teaching point in this simple narrative. Because given the opportunity to walk out the door of the prison as a free man, Paul digs his heels in and says, absolutely not. Good news, Paul. You're getting out of prison and not going. Absolutely not. Nay, verily. Paul obviously wanted to make a point. Wonder what the point was. Perhaps it's simply that there's always a time when it's right to say no to the government. Could that be it? I know that Paul himself in Romans chapter 13 argues that the government should be, the Christian should be subject to the higher powers, and that's true. But surely governments have boundaries. Surely there are times when they overstep those boundaries. We should obey the government when the government is ruling in its own kingdom and ruling in accordance with the word of God. When the government is punishing evildoers and rewarding those who are doing good, the Christians should support them. But what about nowadays? What about when the government starts rewarding those who are doing evil and punishing those who are doing good? What do we do then? Paul's saying no. This government has done the wrong thing. This government has acted unjustly. This government has taken us openly uncondemned and beaten us and cast us into prison. And they're going to thrust us out. It's time to say no to the government. I tell you, my friends, if ever there was a time to say no to the government, we're living in it. This week is a very important week for the Northern Ireland Assembly. Once again, I I don't do politics, party politics in pulpits, but this is not politics. This is life and death. This is important because... As you know, last week, Brandon Lewis, our Secretary of State, who is doing everything that's possible within his power to make it seem that he's wicked and evil in every respect, he has taken steps this week to undermine the Northern Ireland Executive in order to increase the provision of abortion services right across Northern Ireland. Now there is a time that we should say no to the government and if ever there was a time this is it. This week we'll see some terrible things happening if the legislation goes through 
There's a petition that has gone out yesterday's newsletter and other places calling on Christians to write to your MLA and insist that your MLA will walk out of the assembly, which is useless now anyway, because abortion is a devolved matter. Abortion is not the role of the, the Westminster government. Abortion is a, is, a, is a devolved matter, devolved under law to the Stormont Assembly. But if the Stormont Assembly is going to be walked over, then what's the point of having it? Many of us would have voted for parties thinking that our precious unborn children were being protected. But if our local parties can't protect the most vulnerable people in our society, it's time to say no to the government, isn't it? Time to say no. Paul digs his heels in. Look at how adamant he is as he as he speaks. He, he won't go. He's saying no to the legal authorities. It's time for Christians to dig their heels in and say, no, we will have no more. Of course we should obey the government. But when the government legislates wickedness, it is time to say no. Sometimes we might think perhaps that the well-being of the church is more important and our own personal well-being. And that may be why Paul stayed as well. He may have stayed because there was a time when it was right to say no to unjust rulers. But he also maybe was thinking of the new church that had been formed in Philippi. There is a new church there. And if Paul simply walks off into the distance secretly, which is what they wanted, they wanted him just to go quietly and to walk out of the city, just walk away. Isn't it going to look to that new church that Paul has been defeated, that he's backing down, that there will be no doubt that when the apostle is safely out of the way, then the authorities can simply clamp down on the activities of the church. After all, where's your great preacher now? He's run off and left you. Can't you hear them? No. The church has to be secured. Paul has to be an example. And then there's the issue of repentance on the part of those who have done the unjust act. Because if Paul were to leave that jail that day and walk out of town without saying anything, then the people who put him there and the people who cruelly misused him, the people who had arranged for his arrest and humiliation and beating, they had done that publicly. He had all that punishment had been publicly administered. Why should the authorities not be made to publicly admit their error? There's a complication here as well that I left out when I last read the verse. Did it deliberately. Paul said unto them, they would have beaten us openly. They have beaten us openly, uncondemned. They've cast us into prison. 
but he inserts the phrase being Romans. Being Romans. Now this is the first time that Paul has openly declared his Roman citizenship. And it's important. Because this declaration of citizenship will strike terror into the leaders of the city council. To beat a Roman citizen without a fair trial uh, is a very serious offence in that day indeed. The punishment for that would be severe. And I'm wondering though, why did Paul not declare his citizenship earlier on? When he was being arrested, when he was being stripped, when he was being humiliated, when the beating started, why did he not cry out, stop this now, I'm a Roman citizen? It would have come to an immediate halt. After all, he wasn't shy about declaring his citizenship later when he was standing before Festus in Acts chapter 25. Why not in Acts 16? Maybe make him seem like a coward. Maybe because suffering for Christ would be an example to the new believers in that church, seeing the apostles suffer would remind them that someday they must suffer too. And why proclaim his citizenship right now? Was it because he needed those authorities to see that among the believers were people with influence and authority, people who had rights and were not going to be trampled down by wicked governments? I'm glad that we have people on our side in this country who are people who carry some measure of authority. I think one of the things that we should do as Christians at this time is to pray very much for MPs and MLAs and local councillors who are Christian believers. Let's pray that the Lord would guide them into truth, help them to stand for what is right because we are living in wicked, evil days. Lastly, We've seen, first of all, that freedom was granted to the prisoners. We've seen that Paul refuses point blank to go. And lastly, we see that the church is encouraged. Verse 40. They went out of the prison. After the authorities had come and groveled to them, look, um, because we, we should have mentioned verse 38, shouldn't we? We should have read that. The sergeants told these words on to the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and besought them. They're groveling now, and they brought them out. So they had just wanted them to go, but now they're having to be. They're bringing Paul out of the prison, maybe leading him out by the arm so that the whole city can see them backing down. And then they desired them to depart. And Paul, in verse 40, didn't depart before he had entered into the house of Lydia. They're going to leave Philippi now anyway. They're going to go on to their next destination. They're going to go to Thessalonica. But before they leave, let's see their final actions in Philippi, what they're leaving behind. 
The first thing then is that there is a final meeting. Church is encouraged by a final meeting. Must have been some meeting, wasn't it? They entered into the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren. What joy. I mean, can you picture the, the, the scene at that gathering in Lydia's house? All the tears and the laughter and the happiness. And of course, it would have rubbed it into an amazing song of praise to the Lord for deliverance. The encouragement. We're told that before they left, they encouraged the brethren. I was leaving a church in 1996 for the last time. And it was the it was the farewell service. It was better than the first farewell service. I think I've told you about it. It was the one where one of the young deacons got up and announced we've come together to say farewell to our beloved pastor and we're going to sing, Oh, Happy Day. This one was a bit better. They presented my wife with a tea set and I think I've got some of it left to this day. And one of the church elders shook my hand at the door as he left and he says who's going to encourage us now never thought I'd hear that who's going to encourage us now never really thought it'd be an encouragement church needs encouragement doesn't it needs the word of God preached to encourage them they encourage the brethren Every church needs to be encouraged. It was a final meeting, a meeting of great encouragement. The second thing that we see that is left here is a very strong church. A mixed crowd full of strange characters and people from all different backgrounds, all with one absolutely amazing thing in common. They had all met the Savior and their lives had been changed and there's unity in the church. They're not all the same, sure they're not, that's for sure. It's a diverse bunch, but there's unity in Christ. After all, think of what we have here. You've got Lydia and her family. And they're very high-class business people. And we've got the jailer now in there too and all his wains. They're in there as well. And there's a slave girl. And they're all sitting together in the church, in a new church in Philippi. And I'm wondering how they're all getting on. I mean, I wonder what Lydia thinks of the slave girl. And I wonder what the jailer, maybe a big rough man, sitting in the middle of uh, a posh woman and this slave. What's he thinking, for goodness sake? But they've come together in Christ. They're united in Christ. They've got the Savior and their sins have been forgiven. And they're brought into the body of Christ. And it's a strong church. And it's the very first church in the continent of Europe. And there'll be hundreds and thousands of those churches. And the missionary cause has been established. And the fires of the gospel will spread across land and sea and Europe will respond and millions and millions of European believers will be in heaven when we get there. We should be excited, shouldn't we? 
Nothing wrong with getting excited about conversion from time to time. Nothing wrong with looking at what the Lord's done in the book of Acts and thinking, our God is a wonderful God. Got a final meeting, a great encouragement. Got a strong church. And they've got a new pastor. I wonder did you notice a grammatical change? Back in Troas in Acts chapter 16 uh, and verse 6 down to verse 10, Luke is writing the, the book of Acts and there's a grammatical change occurs because he talks in the beginning of the chapter about Paul and Silas and he talks about them in the third person. He says, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the relation, the region of, uh, uh, all over the region, he encouraged them and he came to, it talks all, it's all in the third person, isn't it? Um, and yet when it comes to a little bit further down the passage, for example, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 6, it says, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were bidden, forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, when they were come to Mysia, Mysia they are said to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And that talks about the vision, and we talked about that. But look at verse 10. After he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavoured to go into Macedonia. Now what's happened is that Luke has joined them. He's now talking in the first person. It's now we. It was them, but now it's we. So at Troas, Luke joins the party. And Luke comes across into Greece, into Macedonia, and he goes to Philippi. And then, whenever it comes to chapter 17, it changes again. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia. It says in verse 40, chapter 16, verse 40, they comforted them and departed. Now that little grammatical change is important. Luke stays behind in Philippi. And that makes many commentators think that Luke was left behind in Philippi for a very important reason as an experienced Christian, to care for the flock, to continue the work of evangelism. And the very next time that Paul writes in the first person plural is in Acts chapter 20, verse 1 to 6, when Paul called the disciples to himself and embraced them. And it says then, Now when he had gone over that region, he came to Greece. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. That's maybe three or four years later. Because Paul spent at that time, time at Thessalonica, time at Troas, a little time at Athens, and a year and a half at Corinth. So for several years, Luke stays at Philippi, and he teaches them. So the church is encouraged with this glorious final meeting with a strong church and with a new pastor. And if we've learned anything from Acts chapter 16, 
fact, from the book of Acts as a whole. I suppose it must be that Paul's life story is one of great adventure and travel and trouble and success and mission and fearlessness. And what other object, adjective could you think of to describe those epic missionary journeys? Do you know others have emulated him in later years? Christians have gone across the globe to bring the gospel to unreached lands. They've seen thousands brought to faith in Christ. They've changed the course of history. Many of them from our own shores. People like William Carey and Hudson Taylor and Anthony Norris Groves, Amy Carmichael, Eric Little, many, many, many more. And we're deeply grateful for those people and for their sacrifice. I once read that one early missionary society had sent its volunteers off to China with all of their belongings packed in a coffin and the sure and certain knowledge that most of them would never return alive, that they'd be shipped back in that coffin. Now, not all of us can be adventurous missionaries like Paul. I don't want you to go away thinking, I wish I was living in the day of Acts because it was so wonderful then. It was wonderful. But every single Christian life where we live it here and now, in your home, in your work, in your church, every single Christian life is an adventure for God. It's an adventure in faith. Because the same Holy Spirit who led Paul the Apostle still leads us. The same Holy Spirit who led Paul the Apostle brings us through life as well. So that one day we too, like Paul, will say, I have fought the good fight. And I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. And finally... There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me, and not only to me, but to all who love his appearance.